Luke 17, reading from verse 1. He said to his disciples, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than that he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Be on your guard if your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Which of you, having a slave, plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourselves, yourself and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink. He does not thank the slave because he did the things which, he, which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded, you say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Okay, so let me give you the context here. We are following the chronological life of Jesus. And in the last portion, Jesus gave us a picture of what eternity was like at the end of Luke chapter 16, of what eternity was like. And he made a distinction between knowing him, knowing him through the scriptures and not knowing him through the scriptures. And what he also did is he was painting a contrast to saying, just because you're rich doesn't mean you're automatically going to get into heaven. You can't serve God in wealth. And just because you're poor doesn't mean you're not getting into heaven. And so the context is that he had just finished talking about this portion where, where uh, uh, the Pharisees, who it says were lovers of money and were scoffing at him, he gave them these teachings. And now, though, it shifts a little bit. Now he's just with his disciples. In Luke 17:1. it says that he said to his disciples. So now this is a teaching that's for his disciples. He's not teaching people that are outside his group. This is the group of disciples. He said to his disciples in Luke 17:1, It is inevitable that stumbling blocks come, but woe to him through whom they come. This is such a comforting word. And the reason it's comforting is because it's true of life. So many of the young people that come to me for, for counsel are coming because they're struggling with their boss or they're struggling with their coworker or they're struggling. It is inevitable. It is for sure. It is a sure thing that stumbling blocks will come in life. And when you look at it in this way, you think about the things that might be going on, what's comforting to know is, oh, Jesus warned me about this. Jesus said it, it is inevitable. It is going to come. It is certainly going to occur. Certainly stumbling blocks will come, but woe to him through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea than he would cause one of these little ones to stumble. Now, lest we become too judgmental toward others, I would 
venture to, to think that every one of us has become a stumbling block to another brother or sister in Christ sometime in our lives. Now, now um, and if you think you never have, you might want to re-examine yourself. And, and you, we need to be sensitive about this. Let me give you an example. Is it possible, is it possible that if I, if I uh, start pursuing, say I were unmarried and I start pursuing a Christian girl and I'm not walking uprightly in the way I'm pursuing her and I'm drawing her into a relationship that is neither healthy for myself or for her, could that be called a stumbling block to her? Or how about for a woman? If she's interested in a young man and she draws him into a relationship knowing the weakness of young men in certain areas of their lives and draws him into a relationship that is not healthy for him. Could she be called a stumbling block to that brother? Certainly so. We have to watch what we do with other believers, what we say and the things that we might do, lest we be stumbling blocks to them. Something that really helped me in dealing with other people was to view them, and for me it was particularly women, to view women as daughters of the living God. How will I address them? How will I speak to them? How will I treat them? If I view them as daughters of my God, it would cause us to take note of that. It would cause us to be more careful, knowing that their father sees everything. That their father is there and sees everything. And here's what I might say to them. God sees it. Let's turn to, let's look at verse 3. But be on guard. If your brother sins, rebuke him. And if he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times a day and returns to you seven times, saying, I repent, forgive him. So they had just come off this, this time where these Pharisees were drawing people astray by their teachings. And he's probably instructing them, don't hold this too strongly against them. But he goes on, he says, if your brother sins. So if we look at this in the context of the body of Christ, remember... Right after the, the quote-unquote Lord's Prayer, where the disciples had said, Lord, teach us to pray. Then he says, pray in this way, or according to this pattern. Pray according to this pattern. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So, so he, and he goes on, and we call, that, we, we call that the Lord's Prayer, but it's really the prayer that he gave us. Right at the end of that it says, and if you forgive men... Your, their transgressions, your Father will forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive men, your Father will not forgive you of your transgressions. Very pointed. Because remember what in, in that prayer, what we're supposed to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. So God says, okay, just as you forgive others, I will forgive you. You don't forgive, I won't forgive you. Because he said, 
He says in, in, in Matthew chapter 5, he says in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 in the Beatitudes there, he says that if you don't forgive others, I will not forgive you. Now that's to others. This is particularly to brothers. This is to brothers. And this generally means in the context of believers. So if your brother sins, rebuke him. Now, I can tell you from experience, rebuke need not be you know, really harsh with your finger in the face. In fact, a very gentle word, it says a gentle word turns away wrath. So you can just give a word of instruction. You know what works well sometimes? Is that, is that um, if you see a brother doing something, even if it's something that, that, that may be done against you, you can pull the whole thing back in the context, or I can pull the whole thing back in the context of myself. And to say, you know, there was a time in my life where I was doing such and such, and here's what resulted. And when I stopped doing that, it really was a blessing to me. That, in a way, is a gentle rebuke. Because if the brother has eyes to see, he will begin to see that this applies to him. And it says, over and over again, dealing with Christian brothers is this. It says, even if he comes to you seven times a day and saying, I repent. And this thing of, well, when they say I repent, then I'll forgive them. But if they don't, I won't. Remember, that's very dangerous ground. Because it says that if you forgive men their transgressions, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their transgressions, He won't forgive you either. So in that context, there is nothing of Him or her having to come to you and to saying, I repent. So be very quick to say, I'm sorry, because many times we don't even realize the offense that we've offered. Yet we want people to walk in forgiveness toward us. So don't even wait for them to say, I repent. But certainly when they come and say, wow, I blew it, just say very quick, hey, no problem, I understand. Now, if it's to a brother, you can say, forgiven. If you say to someone in the world, you're forgiven, that may or may not work very well because people in the world aren't used to hearing that. It's like, who made you so holy? So sometimes for people in the world, when they say, look, I'm sorry about that, just say, it's okay. Okay, I understand. And in that way, you're embracing them and walking in forgiveness without having a sort of condescending attitude. But to those who are in Christ, for someone to say, I forgive you, that speaks volumes. That means a lot. But do you see what I mean? Do you see the difference? Because people in the world, and I've tried it, people in the world don't understand when you say, you're forgiven. They take that as like... You know, you're not God that you should proclaim such a thing. But when, when you're in Christ, it's different. Now, now, now let's look down. Verse 5, it says, The apostle said to the Lord, Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. This is very interesting. It, this is now not just the disciples, this is, it says, the apostles in verse 5. So of that group of disciples, there was a select group of 12 men who were the apostles. And it was among, it says, the apostles said to the Lord. So probably one apostle said, increase our faith. And a few others said, yeah, yeah, increase our faith. Yeah, what he said. <laughs> increase our faith. 
That's really good. And Jesus, what he does is he answers it in this way. The Lord said, if you had faith like a mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. He doesn't even say you would pray for this this mulberry tree to get up and be planted in the sea. He said you would say it. You would command this mulberry tree to get up and be cast into the sea and it would happen. This is really different. This is not the way we usually speak. You pray to God and ask God. And in this context, he says if you really had faith, and and he uses mustard seed because, not that it's the smallest seed, but it was one of the smallest in their context. One of the smallest seeds in their context. And he says, if you you had just a little bit of faith. So, Jesus' view of faith is very different than our view of faith. He said, you could command this tree to be planted in the sea. So, I want to follow on this a little bit. I want you to turn to to, uh, the Gospel according to John. And we're going to look, look at a few other verses here. If you look in, in um, uh, John chapter 14. So look in John chapter 14, verse 13. We'll follow along this a little bit and try to understand it. Because I'm telling you that I'm not sure that I could speak to a tree to get up and cast into the sea. And it's going to happen. Just being honest with you. If you can do it, I'd like to see it. Alright? So after class, let me know. And you don't even have to... Have it go far. We'll go out, we'll pick a tree outside, and just have it move across the street. Okay? Just, just a little bit. So Jesus takes something that we're not used to seeing. And, and look in John chapter 14, verse 13. It says, Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything... In my name, I will do it. So Jesus said, if you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Whatever you, and then in verse 13 he says, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do so that my Father would be glorified. I remember when I was about your age, I was, I was uh, in college, and this college student got up and he talked about praying in Jesus' name. And he said, if you pray and you say in Jesus' name, And believe it, you're going to get it. And I thought, wow, that's interesting. I've never heard of that before. In that way, he was just so emphatic. You pray in Jesus' name, you're going to get it. And I remember going and talking to this one uh, uh, young pastor in our church, and I asked him about this, and he said something really telling. He said, does it mean to pray in Jesus' name just the word saying in Jesus' name? Let me give you an example of this. So, so I can't get things on campus as well as President Lieberman, the president of Rice, could get them. Say you want to get something. Say you want to go to the registrar and get some service, the registrar's office. Could you walk into the registrar's office and get some services? Say, but if you said, President Lieberman sent me here to get this, that would probably elicit some more attention. Do you see what I mean? In the name of President Lebron, I have been sent to ask for this. That would probably get you some attention. But can you imagine if you had not really been sent by President Lebron, but you wanted to get something? So you said, in the name of President Lebron, I have been sent. 
to get my grades. And it really were not so. How would President Liebren feel about this when he finds out? So just to proclaim in the President's name, if the President didn't send you to ask in his name, then it's not a good thing. You see what I mean? Let's look at another verse in John again. Um, John 16, John 16, let's read from verse 23, John 16, 23. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until, you ha- uh, until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. So he says, you don't even have to ask me. Just ask the Father in my name. You ask in my name. You know, and I recently had a pastor of a big church. He was, he, we were talking, he said, you know, I hear all these people praying, and they don't end their prayer in Jesus' name. So they haven't prayed in Jesus' name. They shouldn't expect to get it. I'm thinking... I'm not sure that that's right. Does just saying, ending every prayer in Jesus' name, mean that you will absolutely get it? That's not been my experience. Go ahead. Try it. Try it. Look in, 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 uh, in John chapter 15. Now, John chapter 15. This really puts it now in the context of what we need. John chapter 15, verse 7. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. To pray in the name of Jesus means something. It must mean that I am abiding in Him so much that His words become my words. That He is abiding in me, and I am abiding in Him, so much so, that His words become my words. And this is where you're very careful about it. You be more careful about these things, when you're really thinking, Is this His Word in me? Because I'll tell you, if He hasn't really instructed you to say to this tree, to command this tree to get up and go to the other side of the road, it's not going to happen. It's just not going to happen. So the whole thing of faith is in the context of my knowing my God. My knowing what His will is and discerning His will. Do you see the depth of what's here? It is so much more than just saying, in Jesus' name. Therefore, I'm going to get it, because I prayed in His name. Well, if just verbalizing the words is what it meant, then yeah, we'd get all sorts of stuff. And He would become our genie in a bottle, and we just rub it and get whatever we want. Wouldn't that be convenient? Wouldn't life be wonderful? 
just wonderful. But that's not what He's asked of us. He says, you abide in Me, and My Word abides in you. And then you can ask what you will, and you will get it. And it's a very different context. And you want to go commanding things in and commanding things out and commanding down blessings, that's fine. Just remember that it comes as part of an abiding. It comes as part of an abiding in Him. Okay, let's turn back to to uh, uh, Luke chapter 17 and pick up the next portion. Luke chapter 17, we're reading from verse 7. Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him, when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat, and properly clothe yourselves, and serve me while I eat and drink, and afterward you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves, we have done only that which we ought to have done. Now this whole thing of slavery, you know, it bothers us sometimes that Jesus didn't just come out much more blatantly and condemn slavery. Because for us, slavery has become a moral touchstone. But remember, this is a different generation of people. And in the Roman world, there were so many slaves. I don't remember the number of slaves to the number of people that were not slaves, but there were more slaves than there were people not slaves. I mean, it was just huge. It was ubiquitous throughout society. Now, the church did begin to address this. Paul began to address slavery. And not as vividly as we would like. Because remember, we see things from a 21st century context. And remember, people in other centuries' passes are going to judge us for our actions, for things that we didn't act upon and condemn. But Jesus uses this as a teaching, as an analogy. He says, look, if you've got a slave, and he comes in from tending the sheep or, or, or plowing, you don't, the slave doesn't come in and you don't say, hey, come on in, slave, sit down, let me serve you. He's using this as an example for them. You think, isn't the slave tired? Yeah, the slave is tired. He's just been sitting around watching TV all day. And the slave, but still, the slave's got to come in and serve some more. And not just services, you'd have him change his clothes so he doesn't smell like sheep anymore. And you'd have him serve you your meal. And only after that would you say, okay, now you can go sit down and eat. That's the analogy. Then he finishes it off. He says in verse 10, So you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. Jesus calls us to so much more. And we do one little thing. Oh, I, I moved that chair. God is so lucky to have me. I've done so much for Him. I picked up a chair and moved it. The one that I was sitting in. I moved. Do you see what He's calling us to? He calls us to a life of service. Don't compare your life to your neighbor. Compare it to these great men of God 
In, in the end of Hebrews chapter 11, it talks about these great men. It says that they were, they, they were stoned, they were sawn in two. They were imprisoned, they were killed. It says that, that they wandered in, in sheepskins and goatskins, in caves and hills and holes in the ground. Men of whom the world was not worthy. You read of missionaries that have given their lives, that have taken their families into difficult situations and lost children. You say, well, that's not good. They, they, if they hadn't gone, they wouldn't have lost their children. So what? So the child could grow up in the United States and have a big house and, and, and do grand things? No, there's sacrifices you make. And it makes no sense to people in the world. But to God it means the world. He calls us to something greater. And so you teach a little Bible study. Oh yeah, God's really proud of you. Yes, He's happy with that. But remember, that's just the start. It's not re- you're not ready to sit down yet. You still have plenty more energy. You're not ready to stop serving. There are things that He calls us to. Remember, they were out plowing and the ten- or tending the sheep. They came in and he said, now they have to start changing and serving a meal. There's more that God calls us to. Each of us has a place in life. Each of us has a task in life. Each of us has a profession in life that he's called us to. The vast majority of us are not called into full-time Christian service. Which itself is hard. Because here in full-time Christian service, you're getting paid to do something. So you always have to have things that go way beyond what you're getting paid to do. For those who are not in full-time or paid Christian service, God calls us each to a task. Pastor can't go you know, in front of a, a lecture hall in, in, of students. Pastor can't go and be an engineer in, in, in ExxonMobil. I mean, he's called each of us to a place in life. And in that place, we are called to serve. You know, I, I was... Uh, uh, there's a colleague of mine at Rice who is a, a professor in the business school, a very talented guy, has gone on. He, he left Rice to head up another program, and then after that, he, he's now become a, a dean in a, in a, of a business school, and a, a good business school. So he's dean of a business school, and a friend of mine contacted me. He says, we're going to be doing an event in a particular city, and it happens to be that city where this friend of mine is a dean in the business school, and he's a believer. This friend of mine is a believer, but God has always been calling him to do more, and this friend of mine has been kind of resisting. So he said, uh, do you know anybody, do you know someone who can help me with this ministry? We're going to be uh, speaking to students and talking about things. I said, yeah, I know a guy. So I contacted my friend who's dean of this business school. And I told him about this event. And I said, Jesus has been very good to you in your life. You owe him your very life. You owe him service. In that context, I am asking you to serve in this program that's going to be happening in your city. And then I quoted to him, Luke 17, verse 10. So you too, so you too, when you do all these things which are commanded you, say, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. None of this stuff, well, do you know who I am? I'm a dean now. means nothing to me. What you are in the flesh means nothing. You serve Jesus. You serve Jesus. And that is what your life is about. 
It is not about doing your own thing and going your own way. And every night, it's all about me. And I want to watch this program. I want to do this particular thing. I want to do that. It's not about me anymore. It's about Jesus. It's not about my own comforts anymore. That means that I change my schedule in service to the Lord. And then in doing that, it's not that I'm looking for, oh, the Lord saying, oh, you are great. What a great guy. No, come in here now and serve this. Do that. A very typical prayer of mine when I pray with my wife, with Shireen, is that even this morning, she, just as we were praying together this morning, and she, was, she leaves the house at, at, at about uh, 6.30 to, to do some shopping for the breakfast and then get over here to the church and start getting, getting things ready and start cooking. And I know some of you meet her here at like 7.30, and I appreciate that. But as she was going out the door and, and, and we were praying before she left, and I said a prayer that I commonly pray, and I say, Lord, our strength will not always be at this level. And I thank you, Lord, for our health and our strength. And while we have it, may we pour it out for you and for your service. Because there will come a day, Lord, when we won't have this level of strength to serve in this way. But while we have it, may we pour it out for you and for your service. There will come a day when you don't have the physical strength. And you won't have the intellect and the sharpness of mind to speak the Word of God as well as you do. As well as you can. There will come a day, and I see it. I see many great men who have been pastors all their lives and were sharp and keen and could, could get up there and quote and quote one scripture after another. But as they get old, the mind starts to work more slowly and they get up there and it goes slower and slower to the point where it's just hard for them to speak anymore because the mind just isn't working fast enough or other people don't have the strength to stand up and speak or others don't have the strength to serve anymore. But while you have it, pour it out in service to the Lord. And he says, don't think great things of yourself. Just say, I'm a poor, unworthy slave. I'm only doing what I ought to do. And in this, there is blessing. In this, there is tremendous blessing. So many times people will come to me, guys, middle-aged guys, my family's falling apart, my wife's falling apart, my kids are rebellious. I'm like... Tell me about the things that you did as a family in service to the Lord. Tell me about it. Tell me about it. Because I know if you pour out yourself for the living God, if you pour out your lives in ministry, as a couple, you pour out your lives in ministry, there is so much blessing that comes at you. So much blessing. And so much mercy and so much grace. There are many blessings that flow. But for ourselves, we should not be looking to God like, you owe me this. He owes us nothing. Every breath He gives us is by His grace. He owes us nothing. We are unworthy slaves doing only what we are supposed to do. Imagine if somebody gave their son's life for you, gave their son's life for you, and then they called you up and said, uh, could you help me with this? You know, I'm kind of busy. i got my own thing. I gave my child's life for you. Yeah, I know, and I, I appreciate it. But, you know, i got people to see and places to go, you know? Someday I'll, you know, I'll make it good. 
Now that sounds so brazen. But look at our attitudes sometimes. Look at our attitudes. He has called us to a life of service. And the things that He called us to always stretch us beyond our capability. Beyond our capability. And there's great blessing there. The one thing that I hated most as a young person was to look at a person in the eye and speak to them. Just very shy. Very nervous around people. And every place in my life He has put me in positions where I have to look not at one person but hundreds of people and speak to them. And what does He do? He calls us into places that we are unable to serve in and of ourselves. And He puts us in a capacity and He brings us to a place where He gives us all we need for the service He's called us to. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank You so much for the truth of Your Word, for that which You have done in our lives. Father, I pray for these young people that You bring them into things that are greater. That their lives would not be about themselves or about their own comforts or the things that they want to do. But their lives would be different and in service to You. And Father, while they have strength, while they have muscle, while they have sharp and keen minds, may it be poured out for You not waiting for retirement where their bodies are weak and their minds are slow and their eyes are dim. But Father, may they pour out their lives for You and then say, I am an unworthy slave only doing that which I am supposed to do. Father, have mercy on these young people, I pray. In the name of Jesus, we lift this up to You and we ask Your blessing upon them. Amen.